Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Uh, hello, Rats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. I'm Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. Dave Nichols from the District Sports page is on the line after the Nationals' 2-1 loss to the Braves in Atlanta. And Dave, I don't know if there's an, any more Nationals play tonight than what we saw there in the ninth inning. Jason Worth and Clint Robinson single to start the frame. Down one run at that point. Ian Desmond comes in. They ask him to bunt. He drops one down right in front of the plate. Can't run because the catcher's right in front of him, and he told reporters afterwards he was afraid of interfering with the catcher and getting called out automatically, so he's stalled for a second. Brzezinski jumps up, throws the third. They throw to first after that to double Desmond up. <laughs> a 2-5-4, uh, 2-3-4, I suppose. 5-4-3, 2-5-4, double play. Two outs there. Matt Dendecker case swinging to end it. Nats lose two to one. I just at this point, you know, what are you going to do? Well, there's nothing you can do, and this is twice now in the last three or four days. I forget specifically um, that Desmond hasn't been able to get a bunt down, and you know, you would think at this point, you know, especially since especially since Matt Williams before the game said, you know, some of these regulars are going to continue to play so that they can. Um, achieve personal milestones, and one of those is Desmond hitting t- 20 home runs, to have him in the game and, and then ask him to bunt. You know, it, <laughs> it seems it seems silly to me. I mean, I'm not a major league manager. I never have been, but um, it just seems silly that the manager would say specifically before the game that Desmond is one of the guys that's going to continue to get at bats because we want him to get his 20 home runs, and then ask him to bunt in the ninth inning when he's got two runners on that could have won the game. It just you know, it, it just it, it's it's consistent with the inconsistencies that we've seen out of the Nationals this year. And yeah, you're right. It's like you know hashtag that's so Nats um, <laughs> that you would bunt that you would bunt into a two five three double play uh, in the top of the ninth inning where you've got the winning run on base. Apparently, it was a two five four. That's why I was double checking myself. The second baseman was yeah. covering so two five four, but. I was wondering about that tweet, too. I saw your initial reaction to that. I didn't read further because I just didn't want to, honestly, but didn't realize that he had said Ian Desmond getting 20 at that point. But I had that on my list, so I was going to ask you uh, which regulars you thought he was talking about in those cases. So I guess Desmond getting to 20 home runs is one. You need one more. Bryce Harper battling for the batting title at this point. That's another one. Uh, who else is headed for milestones? Did he mention anyone else there? Somebody mentioned Escobar hitting 320. Um, you know, it's these are all well and good, but again, um, you know, now that you've been eliminated, you've got a week left. You know, get Trey Turner's experience, and we saw him today. You know, get um, you know, get Wilmer Dyfo, um Defo Dyfo. We'll have to figure out that exactly how it's pronounced for next <laughs> year, but get him some at bats. Um, you know, it just. You know, this is the time when, you know, get A.J. Cole a start down the stretch. I mean, this is the time when you want to see the younger players uh, at least get their feet wet in some of these games down the stretch. And to have the manager of the team come out in his pregame and specifically say, we've got some guys that we want to get milestones, um, you know, that's just, that's putting me, the idea of me ahead of the team again. And, and, um, again, it speaks to uh, the inmates running the asylum, you know, that it's more important to, to to 
um, to allow the veterans to do what they're doing as opposed to benefiting the team by letting the younger guys play. But again, um, you know, as we've said most of the season, these are um, these are some of the reasons why um, why people are starting to refer to the Nationals as dysfunctional as opposed to up until I would say spring training, most of spring training in the beginning of this part of the season, if you ask people around baseball, um, you know, are the Nats a model franchise, they would probably say, yeah, as close as you can get to it. But it seems like everything that's happened since spring um, has gone to tear at that idea. And now if you ask, you know, who's the most dysfunctional franchise in baseball, I think the Nats would probably be, you know, on the in the top three or five you know, of people's choices if you gave them an open-ended choice as to the most dysfunctional team in baseball. I just know here that Mark Zuckerman quoted Desmond after the game. How comfortable is Desmond bunting in that spot? Desmond's response, we've been down this road so many times, we should probably talk about something else. I think that pretty much says it all for Mr. Desmond there. Uh, while we're discussing milestones, though, uh, Bryce Harper, I mentioned battling for the batting title. The Braves had uh, a trivia question that was Nats-related, Nats Expos. Who was the last Nats or Expo to lead the league in batting average? Any clue? I'm going to guess Rusty Staub. But not Rusty Staub. I gave my brother a second chance when I asked him, so I'll give you a second shot. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero. That was his second guess, too. It was not. Tim Raines with a 334 average in 1986. He also led the league with a 403 OBP that season. So The Rock was the last one to do it. Bryce Harper battling again. Is there any potential Hall of Famer that, that is less heralded than Tim Raines? Uh, as someone who watched his whole career, I'm continually disappointed by the national respect he gets every time they vote for it. But he was a great player back in the day, had a great career. Uh, unfortunately, did most of it north of the border for teams that weren't very good. So I, I don't think he right. gets that respect now. I think it's tough. But one of the better players I've ever seen, I was actually uh, going to get one of our writers at some point to look into it and see if he was the best center fielder when Denard Spann was putting up the numbers that he was and healthy this year. I wanted to go back and compare all of them and see who was the best center fielder that the Expos or Nationals ever put out on the field there. But I think Reigns, uh, Stan, in the two seasons he was here at least, uh, put up numbers that would probably argue well for it. Uh, Rock Reigns obviously had more uh, lengthy time doing that kind of stuff in center field and putting up those right. sort of numbers. But it'll be interesting. If someone I'll get into look into it at some point. But mentioned Trey Turner earlier. Rondell White, Rondo White was pretty good too. Yeah, there's a long list of them. And they all ended up going elsewhere because no one could afford to keep them in Montreal. <laughs> Uh, Trey Turner, first MLB home run tonight, got hold of a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, hit it out the left off a of Whistler in the sixth inning, the only run the Nats scored tonight, a nice celebration in there. I will, however, note that the Braves announcer kind of broke my heart. If I can find this tweet really quick, uh, pause while I figure this out. He basically said, yeah, here it is for a moment there when the celebration was going on and they gave Turner a little pounding in the dugout for a moment. I thought there was another national getting mugged in the dugout at that point, which just kind of ruined the moment for me, as funny as it was. But a big hit by Trey Turner there and gets his first MLB home run out of the way as the season winds down. Yeah, it's nice to get that um, get that in the books. And, and Turner's not a big home run guy. He's got more has a, a doubles power, you know, gap-to-gap gap as opposed to home run. But... Um, but he really got a hold of that one, and, and there was really no doubt about it. 
um, you know, he's going to be a fun player to watch and really uh, is going to be an integral part of, of the team next year. And hopefully the Nats give him every opportunity to win the job in spring training and then he actually seizes it. Um, he could be um, that prototypical leadoff hitter type of guy. I mean, sprays the ball around, makes really good contact, tough to strike out, um, high on base percentage everywhere he's been in the minor leagues. Um, you know, if that continues to, to um, you know, continues to develop and and, um, and continues to thrive in the major leagues, um, you know, he, he really could be that top-of-the-order guy. Um, not going to provide a ton of power, like I said, but uh, definitely really good on-base skills. Uh, he's got speed to burn. Um, you know, he should be able to stick at, at, at shortstop. You know, some of the questions – uh, his arm strength and, and maybe move to second base at some point, but um, but I think he can pick it enough at shortstop and um, just going to be really interesting to, to watch uh, during spring um, and, and hopefully he like I said he's able to uh, you know really take hold of that shortstop position and run with it for the Nats next year. If he doesn't, uh, then the Nats are going to be in a world of hurt because that means uh, either Danny Espinosa or you know Escobar playing shortstop, um, and I don't think. Uh, I really don't think, you know, Escobar for the defense and Espinosa uh, on the offense, I don't think anybody wants to see either one of those guys playing on a full-time basis at shortstop next year. Matt Williams was asked about Michael Taylor and Trey Turner yesterday after he had them in the one and two holes in the lineup. Uh, if that's where he pictured them going forward, uh, kind of jokingly said that he might not be the one making that decision next year, but he was asked about it anyway. He said for for Michael Taylor, I'm not so sure that that's a natural position, for, natural for him because he drives the ball so well. I tend to agree there. I think Taylor is more likely to end up in the seven or eight hole next year when he's playing on a full-time basis. William said for Trey, I think the fact that he hits the ball the other way and stays on the baseball so well, that's pretty natural for him at the two-hole. Mike Rizzo has talked before about him being a potential leadoff hitter, as you just mentioned going forward, but he makes the roster out of spring training or whenever he comes up, do you trust putting a rookie in that spot, having him lead off every game? And obviously they don't lead off more than once a game, so it's not that big a deal. But do you think he's going to slide in at the top of that order and fill in with a high OBP guy, assuming Span's out of here? Well, everything he's done in the minor leagues suggests that that is the appropriate spot for him. Now, like I said, he's going to have to earn it in spring training and continue to earn it once he's in the lineup. But, um, but yeah, the, the skills that he's exhibited in the minor leagues, you could easily envision him um, as a leadoff hitter. And, and frankly, you know, if that does translate to see him as a leadoff, Rendon in the two spot, Harper in the three spot, I mean, that, that's pretty darn good to, to look at, you know, and envision. Um, and then you get into to Zimmerman at four. Um, you know, worth it five, you know, and, and et cetera. And, and as far as Taylor goes, I see him a lot like Mike Cameron, um, a high strikeout, high speed, um, medium power type of guy that could slot into the, the six, seven, eight slot, depending on who else you've got in your order. Um, you know, maybe a little bit further down in the lineup to um, to really utilize his speed once he's on the bases. But there, Taylor um, has never been a high on base guy. He's always been a high strikeout guy. So I don't think necessarily you would want him high in the order there. Um, you know, just just because of the number of outs he makes, striking out, um, and the low on base percentage, and, and and frankly the low average. I mean, his batting average has always been in the the 240 to 260, 265 range. So um, he's going to be more of a of an all or nothing type of guy um, that you want at the bottom of the order, um, smacking a home run or getting on base and stealing when he does get on base outside of the home run. 
just, yeah, I'm just checking out his numbers because I had him in my post today. Two minor league campaigns, 322, 384, 454 line uh, on the year. Well, two years, 821 plate appearances. So if you can put anything remotely like that up in the major leagues, that OBP would be fantastic at the top of the order and better than what Span uh, was able to provide in the last couple of years, as good as he was. But obviously minor league numbers translating to the majors are always a question. So we'll see what he can do. But I like the return so far. I like what I've seen from Trey Turner defensively as well, even though he's been playing second a few nice plays in the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, that's just the thing. I mean, those on-base skills have to translate to the major leagues. And if they translate as well as he has in the minor leagues, then you can see him uh, in the one-two slot, depending on what you would want to do with Rendon. Um, you know, if they, they get knocked down a little bit, then maybe he is a bottom-of-the-order guy since he doesn't have a lot of power. Um, but those on-base skills are the things we're going to want to watch uh, at spring training and then the first couple of months of the season to see how well they translate to the big leagues. There's a lot of... Uh... I hate to get back into this, but a lot of unhappiness among the commenters on our site and other other places on the internet today that over what Mike uh, Rizzo had to say about Bryce Harper's role in the incident with Justin Papel, uh, Justin whatever Jonathan Papelbon. I'm going to ignore the Kansas City Star uh, cartoon writer out there who made that ill-advised yeah. comment today and kind of embarrassed his paper. But there was a little bit of anger that Matt Williams, uh, Mike Rizzo. He went out and said clearly he did not deserve it, in my personal opinion. In Jonathan Tappelbond's opinion, he did. But in my opinion, he did not. I love the way Bryce Harper plays. I've got no problem with his effort, the way he hustles. But it is the job of veteran players to point out what they think when you're not playing the game right. Pat must have felt that he wasn't and called him on it. Uh, obviously, he's saying that he likes Harper. He didn't have a problem with that. I think generally he's speaking in the second part there where he says it's the job of veterans to call someone out at that case. But it was a case of Mike, Mike Rizzo probably should have just stopped while he was ahead and not gone further with those comments and just said he loved the way Harper played and he didn't have a problem with it. Well, I tend to agree with you, but um, at that point, I think uh, Rizzo was also um, starting the effort on rehabilitating Papelbon. I mean, the Nats are on the hook for his $11 million in salary next year. Um, he's going to be a very difficult player to trade, and if they were able to trade him, um, he would have to take pennies on the dollar in return for him. So, you know, these are the wheels that, that you can see the wheels turning. Uh, this is Rizzo trying to rehabilitate Papelbon anyway. The problem with what Rizzo said was um, uh, twofold, really. Um, number one, yeah, it's perfectly acceptable for veterans uh, to be, quote-unquote, disciplining younger players. I mean, that's how he wants the clubhouse to run. I mean, Rizzo's a hard-ass guy, so he wants the veterans um, to be managing his clubhouse so the manager doesn't have to do it as much. Um, but number one, Papelbon's a relief pitcher, so he has no right to be telling a position <laughs> player anything, let alone his, his effort in running the first base. Number two, Papelbon's been there for 20 minutes. Um, Harper's been on this team for four years, so even if even if Papelbon was a full-time player, He's been on this team for 20 minutes, and he's telling a guy that's been here for four years already, regardless of his age, but telling this guy how to, how to do his job. Um, and number three, you don't do it from the top step of the dugout. I mean, even that Neanderthal C.J. Nikowski in his, in his article the other day, when he, was, <laughs> when he was soliciting opinions only from players that agreed with, with, with Papelbon, said that the top step of the dugout isn't the place to do it. Uh, even the idiot in Kansas City said, if he's going to choke him, take him down the, the runway or take him into the clubhouse and choke him. 
You know, you don't do it from the top step of the dugout in front of the home fans on fan stupid appreciation day. I mean, you're right. Rizzo should have stopped, you know, when he said, I support Harper and I support Papelbon, because there's no defense of Papelbon doing it from the top step of the dugout, and even Papelbon doing it to begin with since he's just joined this team and he's a relief pitcher. Yeah, and he clearly was not justifying anything. Hashtag uh, over. <laughs> he clearly was not justifying Papelbon's actions. Nobody was, nobody right. has, but well, except for the people CJ Nikowski talked to. But um, right. you mentioned the contract, too, just the quote from Rizzo when he was asked specifically, will uh, Papelbon be back in 2016? He's under contract. We're going to evaluate every moving part that we have after the season, and we'll make all those decisions once the final out is made in 2015, which is pretty much changed the names, and it's exactly what he's been saying about Matt Williams going forward. And as we've discussed here before, I'm not completely convinced at this point, as everyone else seems to be, that Matt Williams is out of here based on some of the stuff that I'm hearing from him. And like you mentioned, making a case for the rehabilitation of Papelbon, I, I think there's something going on where they're sort of making an argument for why Matt Williams might get another shot. But uh, people with a lot better sources, by which I mean actual sources that I don't have and a lot better access, by which I have, I'll stop there. Uh, before we go, kind of real arc, four September starts, 0-2 with a 5.68 ERA, 5.62 FIP, 3.42, 4.00, line against in 19 innings, 3-3 three and three on the year, 5.64 ERA, 5.48 FIP, 3.04, 3.52, line against in 52 innings pitch as a starter, back to the rotation full-time next year, question mark. Uh, should the Nats have sold high on him last time? I have another question mark there. Three and two-thirds scoreless to start tonight, but left a 1-1 curve up for A.J. Krasinski in the fourth, solo home run to right. Krasinski got him again for another solo home run, the only two runs he allowed on the night. Uh, where do you think Nationals are doing with Tanner Roark next year? Is he going to slot back in that rotation with Zimmerman and Fist are likely gone. Have they gone and ruined him at this point? Uh, should they have traded him last winter, as I asked earlier? Or what do you think the future holds for Mr. Roark in the nation's capital? Well, considering they didn't know how to use him this year, um, I'll be surprised to see if they know how to use him next year. I mean, for me, and, and we talked about this very early on in the season, I would have sent Roark back down to the minor leagues and have him start every day. Um, I really yeah. think that they did the player a disservice by – um, put, by putting him in the bullpen and then not giving him even a defined role then. Some nights he was mopping up. Some nights he was pitching in the eighth inning. Um, some nights he was, he was warming up, you know, three or four times and then not even pitching. Um, I really think they did him a disservice. If they just, just would have said, hey, look, uh, Tanner, you're going to be our seventh inning guy. You know, this is what you're going to do on an everyday basis. Then that's one thing. But they didn't give him any kind of set role. Um, you know, and frankly, you know, here's a guy that won 15 games last year. Um, you know, could have been in anybody's rotation. You know, you could have traded him for bullpen help if you wanted a regular bullpen guy. Um, but I thought that I think the Nats tried to have their cake and eat it too um, with regards to Tanner Roark this year, and they ended up, you know, hurting the guy. You know, not physically, but um, you know, but 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 mentally, and 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 you know, they had to send him back down and and had you know tried to stretch him out. I mean, they even screwed that up. They sent him back down to the minors to quote stretch him out. And he pitched two innings one day, um, and then yanked him the next because because they didn't know if they were going to need him for Strasburg's start. And then he did come yeah. back up and start. So they sent him down, and he pitched a grand total of like six innings in the minor leagues across two or three starts. And then they asked him to go six innings the next time out and got clobbered. So 
Um, they really mismanaged them all season long. I'll be surprised if the Nats don't go out and sign a free agent starter so to have Joe Ross in the five spot um, and, and a new starter either in the two, three, or four slot, depending on the level of pitcher they get. Um, and if that is the case, then I would hope that they either trade Rowark for another part or tell him, hey, look, you're going to start all year in Syracuse until we need you at the big league level because clearly he didn't function very well uh, getting jerked around in the bullpen this year. Yeah, and that defined role, I think, is what was my big thing. If you're going to put him in the bullpen, either make him the long guy or have him go all out in the eighth inning and put everything into one inning of work whenever they need him there. Right. But to bounce him around like they did is what I think really hurt him. And I'll just mention also that I love your idea of signing another pitcher, and that just plays right into my Zach Greinke theory. <laughs> we'll close on that note. <laughs> National Blues. To be completely honest, I was going to say, to be completely honest, if they're going to shell out the money for Zach Greinke, I'd rather that, I'd rather them do that for an extension for Strasburg or Harper. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, but I really just want to be able to watch Greinke pitch on an everyday basis without having to watch two full games of baseball every night. Because as much as I love it, that's a bit much at some point when I have to actually write too. So, eighty and seventy-seven right. on the year after the loss tonight. Uh, two more at the Braves coming up, and then three more at the Mets to wrap this thing up. I'm going to miss talking baseball every night, but I'm not going to miss not sleeping for the last eight months. So talk to you tomorrow night, sir. <laughs> Nats Nightly. Sounds good. by the District Sports page and federalbaseball.com. Doghouse says go Nats.